0: Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. All right, so last week, uh, there's 28, by the way, chapters in Matthew, and last week we made through uh, made it through the genealogy, that's 18 verses. Uh, so that means this series is probably going to take us somewhere to Christmas. That is a joke. It will not, last week we were just setting the foundation. It will not take that long. We'll we'll speed through and combine some chapters. Today we're actually going to get to the end of chapter two. Uh, so that should be good. But um, just a couple of uh, reminders of where we started. Uh, that roadmap challenge, uh, memorize, apply, and pray. Uh, so if you're interested in joining that, we have many people that have already joined online. But uh, go to myselton.com, you'll see message downloads. You're going to see on the main page, it says message downloads, and you'll see two two things it says sermon notes so that's always for when you're here, if you want to see some notes and follow along. Not my exact notes, I took out uh, some of the bad, no, no, there's nothing bad in there, but but anyhow, you'll see a condensed version of the notes, and then you'll see the map challenge. So if you go on there, every week we're updating that document with a new challenge for that week. It also have some, uh, has some instructions and so on and so forth on how you can do it. Uh, anyways, our heart with that is to get us ready for going out and being the church for fulfilling the Great Commission. That's what Matthew 28 is all about. It is the good. Good news that we as believers are supposed to be preaching and bringing to the world. Our brothers and sisters that are lost, who don't know Jesus yet, and even to those who know him, uh, but but need to be encouraged. Um, so last week we went through the genealogy. Remember, it's good news. Um, but now let's pick up right where we left off, and we're going to pick up in Matthew 1, verse 18. Now, this is the Christmas story, and no, I'm not going, going to give a strong Christmas theme today. We will leave that for December. Uh, because it's not cold enough for Christmas, Uh, but I wanted to start today by giving us just a bit of context. So we'll read through uh, Matthew 1 and 2, and I'll try to give you some context so you understand what's happening and what's taking place, Uh, because the first two chapters of Matthew are setting the stage for the rest. So the first two chapters are kind of setting the stage for Jesus' lineage and his birth, And his mission here on the earth. So that's kind of what it's doing. And then in chapter 3, we see John the Baptist. And in chapter 4, Jesus gets tempted. And then he goes into his public ministry after that. And that's where the rest of the, the book is really situated then on his public ministry, death, resurrection, and the Great Commission. So today, though, we're looking at Matthew 1, 18 to Matthew 2. And the scene is this. You have Joseph and Mary. Um, they're living in Nazareth. So they're living in Nazareth. And the uh, Caesar Augustus in around 5 BCE declares a census. And the census means that everybody, all the Jews, have to go back to their uh, ancestral origin, their place of origin. So because of where they were from, they have to go back to Bethlehem. So that's important. Uh, And the reason why that's important that they went back to Bethlehem and they didn't stay in Nazareth is because of fulfilled prophecy. And as we go through the story, I'll highlight a few of the prophecies that were fulfilled. And that's actually very important for us because it's a foundation of our faith. Is fulfilled prophecy and it actually sets our faith apart from a lot of other belief systems. Um, but Micah 2 or Micah 5 verse 2 says, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old from ancient times. So it's very important to Matthew that you know that you know, Joseph and Mary from Nazareth, they're traveling to Bethlehem. That is where Jesus is going to be born. Now, you might have caught on to this already, but I said that happened in 5 BC. Did you hear that? So that's in 5 BC that, uh, that, the, that Caesar tells them to come back. Now, you might be trying to do the math and thinking, okay, wasn't Jesus born... In, uh, in 0 AD, isn't that kind of what a lot of us believe? 0 AD is when Jesus is born, so that's like a five-year gap. Uh, there's a couple of things I want to point out in that. And that. The first one is, you might have already caught on, and that is, there is no 0 AD. So there's no 0 AD. It goes from 1 BC to 1 AD. So that's the first uh, problem there. The second one is, the Bible doesn't actually use BC and AD. Uh, In the sense of it's not telling us, it's not telling us the exact time that Jesus was born. This is, you know, my birthday is February 27th, 1983. We don't get that with Jesus. So, um, there's a, you know, our, our calendar is based on Jesus being born in 1 AD, but that actually came about later on in the 6th century by a mathematically minded monk and member of the Roman Curia, and his name was Dionysus Exegus. He invented the concept of AD in, around, in the 6th century. Now, it appears as though he made a mistake, and there's lots of disagreements on why he made that mistake, but he did. He just made a mistake. It's not a big deal. Now, before any of you feel like, so Jesus wasn't born in 1 AD? That rocks my faith. Don't be rocked. It doesn't change a single word in the Bible. The Bible is still infallible. We know that. Uh, nothing is changed by the date changing, uh, but it is important for us to know. So 5 BC, they're heading over there. The trip does not take them five years. It's probably about a 10-day-ish trip. So it's about a 10-day walking trip uh, with a pregnant Mary, so it would have been a difficult one. Um, So most scholars, you know, they agree that Jesus was born somewhere between 6 to 2 B.C., Uh, A lot of them are kind of saying maybe it would have been five based on Herod dying after Jesus was born. That was in, they they figured, 4 BC. So all of this is approximates. Like I said earlier, they didn't keep the same type of dating systems that we would now. They didn't have, you know, everything recorded digitally uh, and so on and so forth. So back to the story. So... Nazareth is kind of in the northern area there, and they're traveling south to Bethlehem, a journey of about between, depending on which route they take, between 130 to 160 kilometers, taking them about 10 days with a pregnant Mary. So this would have been a difficult journey. Uh, They didn't have vehicles, you know, if it rained or if it gets cold or anything like that. They didn't have vehicles to hop into or AC. So they make the trek, they make the journey, and then we get to Bethlehem, and that is where Jesus is born, and that's where I'll start reading. So I want to read through the passage that we're gonna be studying now Matthew 1 18 now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed uh, to Joseph before they came together she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit so pause there that fulfills. so she was found to be uh, pregnant without ever having sex so she was a virgin and then she was pregnant so that fulfills Isaiah 7 14 That's the prophecy that was fulfilled right there, which is pretty incredible, but you need to know something about betrothal. So just kind of a fun fact to keep us all on the same page. Being betrothed to someone is a little different than being engaged to someone today. So in betrothal, what they had there is, you know, your parents would kind of set up your marriages and my parents might have set up my marriage and then we would have been committed to be betrothed together. We would have had a betrothal. At some point there would be a betrothal ceremony where we're not yet married, but we're already considered husband and wife. And it's a legally binding contract, which is why the next part here says that Joseph, her husband, being a man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Because you might be thinking, divorce her? Were they married? Like, were they, why do they need to divorce if they're married? Then then the whole thing doesn't make sense. No, the betrothal equipment, uh, uh, the uh, commitment, the betrothal equipment, Uh, commitment was a legally binding contract that required divorce in order to separate. So, picking back up into the story, but as Joseph considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. It's another fulfillment of prophecy. We have Isaiah 35, three to four. Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart. Maybe you have an anxious heart here today. Maybe you are feeling exhausted and weak. And this is the good news. It says, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with a vengeance. With a recompense of God, he will come and save you. Jesus fulfilled that he came to save you and I. He came to save us. This is. The good news. So all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Again, in Isaiah 7:14, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Something I want to highlight as we go through here, and we, and we paused on it last week, but you'll hear us keep repeating this as we go through the series. The gospel means the good news. And I'm, a, I'm one of those, fir- I have a firm belief that every page that we find in our scriptures is full of good news. There is good news in there, and so I want to highlight the good news as we're going through it. And, and this idea of Emmanuel, God with us. We're going to end the message on there a little bit later, but that idea is, is mind-blowing. It's staggering that God would be with us. Right? Our God wants to be with us. Not just ruling from afar and having servants. We are his servants, yes. But he actually desires to be with us. And that was one of the things he promised that he would do. And Jesus fulfilled that. And his name was called Emmanuel. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And, he, and his name was called Jesus. From here, they traveled north. So now we'll just pause here. So they've gone south to Bethlehem. And now they have to actually travel north to Jerusalem. It's about 8.5 to (laughs) 9.46. I looked it up. There's there's discrepancies. You think, how can it be at a range in a distance? I guess because different walking paths, I'm not totally sure, but but it seems like there's a range of what people agree on uh, that it was. So it would have been somewhere 8.5 to 9.5 kilometers. They do a short trip to Jerusalem from Bethlehem. So they're going back north. And the reason they're, do, they're going there is so that Jesus can be circumcised. So on the eighth day, he's circumcised. And that's why they bring him up to Jerusalem. And on the 40th day, he goes through the purification uh, ceremony there in the temple. So that's very important because there it's Simeon that prophesies his ministry, what the ministry of Jesus is going to be to the earth. And so that's also important, but that's not part of the Matthew account, Uh, but that's just giving you some of the context. So once we're done there, so now we've started here in Nazareth, we've gone south 130, you know, 160-ish kilometers to Jerusalem, or sorry, to Bethlehem. Now we've gone north a little bit to to Jerusalem. Now they're going to head back to Bethlehem because the Magi have to show up. So they got to be back in Bethlehem for the Magi to show up as as it's recorded. And that's what they did. Uh, So the the family travels back down uh, and they would not have been in a manger. I'm sure you're aware of this, but if you're not, they would not have been in a manger when the wise men came. They would have been living in a home. And that's what scripture tells us. They were in a house already. And that's where the story picks up again. And we have the wise men coming. So here, Matthew 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king behold wise men from from the east came to Jerusalem saying where is he who is born king of the Jews for we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him Now just to pause on that what I love is like that inside this story, and I know we've talked about this before, but inside the story of the birth of the Christ, you would think if there's any kind of embarrassing characters or characters that maybe you don't want in there uh, to be celebrated, you would remove them, right, in your account. And yet here we have the, the wise men, and we always think of them in a very positive light. I'm not saying that you should think of them negatively. We don't need to judge them. But what's fascinating is these are pagan wise men, magi. They're pagan. They're not even following God, They're not following God. They're actually following the stars. And as they're following the stars, they actually read the stars and read what's going on. And they understand and they begin to follow this star. And so they're included in this story. And they're being led forth by God. And yet they don't know the God that they're being led by. And I find that kind of fascinating how... We see God's sovereign hand throughout scripture, whether in good characters, bad characters, fallen characters, redeemed, all that kind of stuff. We see God's sovereign hand orchestrating things and moving and working things for good. Uh, And I think that's pretty fascinating because it gives me confidence in my own life. Doesn't it? That even in in the areas where you maybe not be fully submitted to him, that he can redeem those areas. He can use them. And what I find also interesting with the pagan wise men is their response to Jesus, though they don't know who he is, is 100% appropriate, isn't it? It's 100% appropriate. Uh, They come bearing gifts and they come to worship him. And that's exactly what they should be doing, even though they don't realize who they're worshiping. Anyways, back to the story in verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where was this Christ to be born? They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. So, uh, for so it is written by the prophet. That's Micah 5.2 again. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. right? Not the manger. They're going into the house. They saw the child with his mother, Mary, uh, and fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So now when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. So now remember, you have, you have Nazareth, then you're going south, you go to Bethlehem, they went to Jerusalem, now they're back to Nazareth. Now they're going further south, kind of going down on the map like this. I'd give you a picture, but I can't. Uh, but you can just kind of follow my hands. They're going to Egypt, it's about here. if <laughs> Nazareth is here on a map, okay? So that's about 170 kilometers uh, long journey. It's a decently long journey. So this is, uh, it's about 65 kilometers further south uh, than where they were at the time. And. The Lord says to Joseph, remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So he rose and took the child and his mother, that's Mary and Jesus, by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. So that's what they figure is about 4 BC. That's why they thought Jesus will have been born before that at some point. Uh, not too far before, but he would have been quite young. But all of these things are happening in rapid succession. Uh, where was I? Here we go. Then Herod, no, that's not right. Yep. This was to fulfill, yep, out of Egypt. Yeah, so this is to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. By the way, the reason why I keep uh, highlighting these prophecies is because it is absolutely miraculous. You know, we read through this gospel story. I'm sure you've read it a hundred times. Maybe not literally, but I'm sure you've read it a lot. We're familiar with it. And sometimes when you get familiar with something, we, we forget to pause on the simple miraculous nature of the amount of prophecies that are being fulfilled one after another. Things that are way outside of what any human being could ever orchestrate. Like even getting a nation together, you couldn't orchestrate some of these things. Uh, only God, only someone who is outside and who has a sovereign power could be orchestrating it. So now we have... Um, you know, the prophecy on Bethlehem. And now he's saying, out of Egypt, I called my son. God calls him to go to Egypt. And now Herod dies and, um, and, and he's going to be called back. So I'll pick up here in verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem. In all that region uh, who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Uh, so they figured that could have been somewhere around uh, 30 different kids. So 30 kids being slaughtered, murdered, uh, absolutely horrendous. I can't imagine uh, how painful that would have been and how senseless. Can you imagine living in a government system where the government could just decide to issue a decree and kill all the boys two years of age and younger? I, look, we actually don't understand what it's like to live in oppressive regimes like that here in Canada. I'm still very grateful for the freedoms that we have. Even if we feel like, you know, things have been really tense uh, with restrictions and everything over the last year. I totally get that. But you read of our brothers and sisters around the world currently. And you look in scripture and God's people have lived in much, 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 much worse conditions than, than we ever have. We have so much to be grateful for here in Canada. We really do. All right, back to, back to the story here. A voice was heard. Now, when he, uh, when he sends out this word to kill all of the children, this fulfills another prophecy in Jeremiah 31, 15. And a voice was heard in Rama weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Now when Herod died that's 4 BC like I said behold an angel of the lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying rise take the child and his mother go back to the land of Israel for those who sought the child's life are dead and he took and he rose took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel but when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father, uh, so you know, there's uh, a little bit of history with him. I'll give you in just a moment. He was afraid to go there. Now you might say, why was he afraid to go there? Well, if you do a little bit of searching on that man, uh, his dad was really, really bad. And this is his son, Archelaus, and he's much, much worse. So you think about what Herod had already decreed. And when you had evil rulers back in that day, uh, they had the power and the authority to do all sorts of wickedness. And so Joseph is wanting to protect his family from that. And so they, they go back into the district of Galilee and they go back to Nazareth. So now we've started in Nazareth, we've gone down to Bethlehem, to Jerusalem, back to Bethlehem, all the way into Egypt, stayed there for a very short period of time, and then made the trek all the way back up here, another 170 ish or, or so kilometers back into Nazareth, and they've completed this 360 kilometer journey. Now, again, take into consideration that they don't have cars and they're moving at maybe, you know, 20-ish kilometers per day. Uh, Maybe that's at a good rate, but there's all sorts of inclement weather. There's different kinds of weather things that are going over over all sorts of different types of terrain. Plus, there's also the risk of bandits, uh, very unlike we have here when we go to Winnipeg. So you get in your vehicle and drive to Winnipeg, we take a lot of things for granted. 360 kilometers doesn't sound that big for us. Back then, those distances are large. They're very large, and that's what they're doing with the young family. Now, let's. Now we've read the end of Matthew 1, and we've read Matthew 2. So let's start focusing on some of the good news. Uh, because there's two things uh, that I really want us to focus on, uh, and that is out of the passage that we read today. And the first one is our promise maker God who has made many promises to us our promise maker is a promise keeper i want you to just take a moment and let that sink in our promise maker is a promise keeper And I know a prophecy is maybe a little bit different than a promise, you might be thinking. But it's very much the same because what God is saying, what he said in the Old Testament, is he was saying, these are the things that are going to take place. He was making promises. This will happen like this. He made some pretty spectacular promises uh, that were later to be fulfilled and then orchestrated history and time and moved, moved kingdoms up and down uh, through those who either followed him or didn't follow him, used them regardless, and made sure that his promises came true. Our promise maker is a promise keeper. Jesus made it clear that the Old Testament predicted his coming, and he said the religious leaders, uh, he said this to the religious leaders of his day. John 5, 39 says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Because they were coming after him. And he says, but you fail to realize that they bear witness about me. Last week, I quoted Paul, and he was talking about how had they been, had they read the scriptures accurately and seen the things that God had promised were going to happen, they never would have killed Jesus. They would have understood who he was, but they didn't understand who he was. They didn't see the answer that was right there in front of him or in front of them uh, because their hearts weren't uh, open to the Spirit of God. They were actually hardened. Um, now, I won't go through, I was looking up earlier this week, I was kind of looking into how many different prophecies. We're gonna focus on just a few of the main ones that were fulfilled by Jesus and why those are spectacular. But there's a whole bunch. I mean, there's a ranging, depending on, the, I would say there's big and smaller prophecies, right? Like you'd read the different ones and you'd say, wow, that one's very detailed. Read Isaiah 53. When it talks about how Jesus is going to die, what's gonna happen at his death. It is so incredibly detailed that you would think it was written at the time, uh, you would think it was a historical account of something that they saw and the, that took place, but it wasn't, it was prophecy. So you have prophecies ranging from that to smaller ones that are more subtle. So if you look at them that way, there's there's well into the hundreds of prophecies that were fulfilled uh, by Jesus from the Old Testament into the New Testament. So hundreds of them, which is actually pretty incredible, but we're gonna focus on three uh, three main ones. And Pastor Actually, in his Holy Spirit series, um, he actually focused on one of the ones that Jesus. We're not even going to touch this one, but don't forget, Jesus, uh, and uh, because he came, he inaugurated the the new covenant. Right, And that that was the fulfillment of another promise, that God was going to inaugurate a new covenant and we were going to have his spirit and the ability to obey. We were going to have a new heart given to us. Jesus came, inaugurated that new covenant. That's another prophecy that we're not even touching on today that was very specific. Uh, But today we're going to look at three main ones. All right. Oh, I wanted to make one quick side note. I like side notes as we go through here anyways. I just want to point something out. Remember last week, I talked a bit about how there's a growing attack on the scriptures themselves, on the word of God, and that even within Christian circles in the West. And that's something, I, you know, I'm, I'm still very alarmed about. We're praying lots about as a church because we want to be praying for our young people, the next generation, and our generation, and the one ahead of us. Because there's no generation that's, that's safe from deception, Our our ability to stay safe from deception is is going to largely be based on us being connected to the Holy Spirit and being deep into the Word. And that's what we actually need to be doing. But I wanted to point, uh, point out something about the Old Testament because a lot of the attack that's being rendered against the Bible is being thrown at the Old Testament. So the Old Testament has, you know, myth and it's a lot of legend and it misrepresents God. That's a common one that I've heard and read. Not hearing a lot of this personally, by the way, so you know. It's not that it's very, very strong necessarily here yet. Uh, But in the North American culture, it doesn't take very much to start reading different Christian articles and Christian news. People that are deconstructing their faith and as they begin to share, you know, the things that they started realizing about the Bible that weren't true and how they have this better revelation. But, you know, the Bible is. Myth, legend, like I said, but then they start talking about the misrepresentation of God. Now, if that's true and and people are misrepresenting God, I think that's actually a big deal. Amen? That is a big deal. We don't want to misrepresent who God is. As, As a preacher, I take that, or as a pastor, I take that very, very seriously. Any time that I'm preparing a message, I spend a lot of time in prayer, and I I often just think about the weight of responsibility of what I say is influencing people. And the truth is, whether you're up here speaking or or in your own sphere of influences, we're all representing God in a different way to different size of groups, and it's very important that we represent him accurately. We're supposed to accurately reflect who Jesus is, being salt and light. Now, what about the Old Testament, though? You know, does it Does it present a God that that is actually false? And the answer to that is absolutely not. I I don't believe so for one second, Uh, but that's what's being charged against the uh, the God of the Old Testament that he's he's often being referred to as a monster or moral monster that he wasn't loving. Uh, But I wanna point something out because if that's true, if that's true, it would be important for us to correct it. Amen? If it would be true. But I think we should take our cue from the apostles and Jesus himself. You know, there are countless, actually, I mean, there's countless. It is countable. It's not countless. That's not totally accurate. Uh, But in the New Testament, there is hundreds, literally hundreds of references to the Old Testament. Whether it's Psalms or prophecies or whatever it might be, there are so many references to the Old Testament uh, it's being referred to all the time. The apostles in all their writings—Peter, John, Paul—they're constantly referring back. They're constantly instructing people how to live and what their faith in Jesus is supposed to look like by, by by referencing the Old Testament. They had the Old Testament scriptures, and Jesus Himself spoke lots about the Old Testament. Now, you might say, "Well, maybe He wasn't He wasn't in there to go and correct the Old Testament." Actually, if you look at Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus really goes through, you have heard that the law of Moses says, right, we're going to cover that in a later message, and then he would go, but I say. So if ever there were a time that Jesus thought we needed to have the Old Testament corrected because it was misrepresenting who God is, and that's a big deal, wouldn't it have been at that time? And yet we don't find Jesus saying that. We find him instead saying, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. That, that's how he talked about it. And when he did refer to the law, he never talked about it in a derogatory sense or that it was harsh or bad or wrong. Instead, he actually, he actually raised the standard because he recognized, remember, he's inaugurating the new covenant. And he's, he's knowing that now those who call upon the name of Jesus, not only will they have salvation from sin, they're also gonna get the Holy Spirit and the power to obey. So he looks at things like lust and he says, you've heard the law of Moses say, do not commit adultery, but I say... Anyone who even looks at a woman with lust in his eyes has committed adultery in his heart. He takes the law that was already impossible for them to obey and he raises the standard. He doesn't lower it. He doesn't lower it. And forgive me if I'm, no, you don't have to forgive me because I'm not apologizing, but I'm very passionate about this because I love the word. I love the word. It is precious to me. I love memorizing it. I have memorized scads of scripture. I have so much fun doing that. I spend time, I'll waste time on my phone sometimes and I'll be uh, memorizing scripture on the memory typer app. I read scripture. I meditate on it. I research it. I love it. It's life to me. Every big life change or life direction shift that I've made, I've asked God to meet me in the word and to show me something in his word, to give me a word. And he always does. He's faithful. He's faithful. I love the word, and so I'm passionate about defending it. And uh, obviously, like we said last week, the context and everything, that's still important. I'm not saying context isn't important, that we should take every line word for word exactly as it's written. You have to look at the context of Scripture overall, and we don't make theologies and belief systems off of one verse. We've talked about that many times, but the Bible should be defended because it is God's word. It is infallible. and Like we said earlier to the grads, Right? It is inspired by God, and it's, it is profitable for teaching and reproof and instruction on how to live godly lives. All right, I got to get going here. Yep. Oh. All right. Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, uh, and we're going to look at three main ones now that he couldn't have engineered. Nobody could have, other than God. The family line that he would come from. Now you might be saying, okay, the family line, is that really that big of a deal? So he's going to come through Jesse, David, yeah, 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 we get all that. And then born as a virgin. I mean, yeah, I mean, how hard can that be? You just kind of declare. No, no, no. It doesn't just tell you one part of the family line. It starts with Abraham and it goes through Isaac and then it goes, you know, it kind of weaves its way through. Remember, each generation and each family is going to have multiple children, so to actually get it, like, throughout history over thousands of years, to get it through one solid family line, that's not an easy feat to accomplish. Because every time you have, let's say you have four kids, you have four chances to go into a different family line. You see what I'm saying? That in and of itself is absolutely miraculous. I think we read through that, I mean, how many times do you go through the genealogy and you kind of skip through and you think, oh yeah, yeah genealogy, yeah, yeah, it's the history. No, 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 no. Stop and look at the wonder, the power of God. This is the God that we serve. He can orchestrate births through thousands of, thousands of years, through multiple generations, and he can weave it through. And like we said last week, the gen- and he's not even just looking for, well, then you have to be perfect in your generations. He used prostitutes, he used men, he used women, he used sinners of the worst kind, adulterers, believers, Gentiles. Like he used everybody. And he said, this is what I'm going to do. He said it in the Old Testament, this is what I'm going to do. And it happened. Step By step, by step, by step. Our promise maker is a promise keeper. Our promise maker is a promise keeper. That's incredible. His birthplace, that's another one that's impossible to engineer. Especially with, not only do you have the birthplace, I mean, they're in Nazareth and he works in Caesar to call the census. If he doesn't work in Caesar, who's not a believer, he works in Caesar to call the census so that they come south, right? Or like this, I guess, if I'm looking at my map, they're coming south to, to, to Bethlehem. That's important because that's where he said he would be born. So he makes sure he's born there. And then he says, well, out of Egypt, I will call my son. So he makes sure that they end up in Egypt too, and they call him out of there. Are you seeing the miraculous nature of this? I hope that you get excited by the fact that our promise maker is a promise keeper because I'm going to get to this in a moment. He's promised us many things that haven't come true yet. And I bet you there are promises that he's given you, maybe. Some of you, anyways. I know for sure there are promises he's given you that maybe you feel like have been so long and so distant, they feel like they're absolutely impossible. Impossible has never stopped the God that we served. That we serve today. Impossible doesn't stop him. All right, his birthplace, right? Prediction that it's in Bethlehem. What happens? He's born in Bethlehem, but that's not it. So we have family line, birthplace, and guess what else we have? The time frame. He even has the time frame predicted of when around. Now, it doesn't give the exact date. Like I said, it's not February twenty seventh, nineteen eighty three. Uh, that's not what he does. He gives time frames, uh, and that's what he did here in Daniel nine twenty six. It says this. After 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there will be war until desolations are decreed. Now we learn three things from this verse. Messiah will come on the scene of history, so that's happening. He will be killed, so now he's prophesying on the death as well, right? And after his death, the city of Jerusalem and the temple will be destroyed. That happened in around 70 AD. So all of these things, Lord, (laughs) all right, the guitar just fell if someone wants to get that. But anyways, all of these things happened before 70 AD, uh, just as, as the prophecy predicted. So therefore Jesus fulfilled certain prophecies about the coming Messiah. He was born in the right family, line of David. He was born at the right place, Bethlehem. And he was born at the right time in history before the city of Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed. What kind of being can manipulate human history like that? Only a sovereign God that has unlimited amounts of power and control over the things that are happening on on this planet and on this earth and our solar system. And I get a lot of comfort from this, a lot of strength. Why? Because he has promised a lot of things like, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's promised lots of things. We're going to get on to that in a moment. Isaiah 55 says, No, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. It shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Our promise maker is a promise keeper. His word never comes back void. So what has he promised us? I'm going to read off a couple of things here. He said he would save us eternally if we accept it. If we accept it, he will save us eternally. He paid the price for our sins. He has promised that he loves us. That he loves all of us deeply. Unconditionally, he loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Not only that, so not only does he love us, he values us at such a high, incredible cost that he was willing. Think about this. How many times do you feel worthless? Has anyone here ever felt worthless? You were worth... The son of God's life. Worthless? We're like a precious jewel, aren't we? When you look at the price that he paid. Because what is value determined by? What someone's willing to spend. Isn't isn't that true? He was willing to put himself on a cross for you and for me. Anyhow, that's the love he's promised that he gives to us. That means that it's true. Number three, he set up a kingdom. He's going to come back and set up a kingdom on the new earth. Sorry, stop. I'll I'll close up right away, okay? Thanks, phone. Uh, Number four, he's going to get rid of sin and brokenness 100%. When he comes back, sin and brokenness are going to be gone and vanquished forever. He also promises to forgive us when we confess and when we repent, turn from our sin. He doesn't demand that we're perfect. He just asks us to turn back to him. And he promises to wipe us clean from all unrighteousness. Wiping away the stain of our guilt and our sin and our shame. Absolutely incredible. He's promised to never leave us. Like I said, he's promised that he's coming back. And that when he comes back, he is going to judge every human being past and present. And that will come. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. These are some of the promises that he has made. Our promise maker is a promise keeper. Two implications from some of those promises because some of those are, are in the process of being fulfilled right now. Some of them are going to be fulfilled uh, sometime in the future, hopefully sooner than later. Um, but as those things are being fulfilled, those, if you are here or listening and you don't know Jesus, our promise maker is a promise keeper. And if you want to know him, if you want to receive that gift of salvation, all you have to do is is accept it in your heart. Let him become your Lord and Savior, and he will. Ask him to. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe, and I ask you today to become my Lord and Savior. And if you pray that today, you can stand in confidence when he comes back before the judgment seat of Christ. And for the rest of us, Maybe there's promises that he's made to you. Maybe there's a sin issue you need to turn from. Maybe there's, a, you know, something that you've seen, a salvation of a loved one. And he's, you know, it just seems so far and distance away. And today, I just want you to be encouraged that our promise maker is a promise keeper. All right, lastly here, and then we'll, last point. Then you guys can go. So good news number one. Fulfilled prophecy, our promise keeper or maker is a promise keeper. Good news number two, and that is God with us. Emmanuel. This is incredible news when you compare it to all the different belief systems that are in the world. God with us. How does a sovereign God even care about us? Have you ever wondered that? And yet he demonstrates the absolute love and care that he has for us by sending his son to die for our sins so that what? So that he can be with us. In us, with us, God with us. This is such an important promise that the Lord is giving us that he actually bookends the book of Matthew with it. Because in Matthew 1, we're told that he should be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Go right to the end, Matthew 28. And we're told the very last line in the Great Commission says, and behold, I am with you always forever to the end. Brothers and sisters, I don't know how many of you might be feeling lonely or isolated throughout this past year. You're feeling separation from family and friends. You might feel like, where is God and everything that happened with the church and everything that's happening in the world? Where is he? And I'm telling you, he is with you right now. And he is with me and he is with us. And he says, if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. He wants to be with you. This is good news. And yes, he promises that those who follow him will experience hardship. Absolutely, yes. He never told us that this was heaven. Heaven is one of those not yet promises that he's going to fulfill. But today he says, yes, in this world, you will have trouble. But I take heart for I've overcome the world. I am with you always forever to the end of the age. All right, I want to close by giving the Holy Spirit an opportunity to, to minister to you. Some some of you actually need to hear from him right now. You need to not hear more from me. You need to hear from him. So if you've been going, you know, you've been feeling isolated or lonely or alone or misunderstood or, or anxious or full of fear or shame over this past while, I just want to take a moment and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. Lord, we thank you that your word promises that you are with us. That is your desire. But right now, Lord, we recognize that oftentimes we lose sight of where you are and what you're doing in our lives, whether because of anxiety or stress or because of busyness and we crowd out, we crowd our schedules with things to do and we're too busy to to actually stop and to meditate on you or maybe it's just sin that has pushed you away or put a wall so that we can't sense your presence. Today, Holy Spirit, I ask that you administer to each one of us, those who are feeling anxiety with everything that's happened the last year. Lord, I pray that you administer your peace to them right now. Those who are feeling lost because they've lost either family members or friends, or finances, or their dreams and vacations. It could be smaller things too. Lord, would you meet them right now? And would you remind us that we are to be content with what we have? For it is written, like it says in Hebrews, for it is written, never will I leave you nor forsake you. We still have the most precious treasure and that is your spirit. And then Lord, for those who are discouraged and they feel like they just can't get it right, and they're always falling into sin or the same pattern of brokenness or bad character. Today, Holy Spirit, would you remind them that you offer a clean slate if they turn to you. All they need to do is confess that, that, that they've been struggling, and you say, your word promises, that when we confess our sins, that you're faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then, Lord Jesus, as we leave here today, I ask that you would minister to each one of us, that you would give us the power to be salt and light for your name. Lord, we want to fulfill your great commission. We want to see you come back. We want to be accurate representation, salt and light in our world. Lord, but we can't do it on our own. So would you fill us with your spirit? Would you give us the desire to share you with others? Would you give us the opportunities to be able to reach out to others and minister minister to them? And would you give us boldness and faith as we step out? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for our weekend message. If you have any needs or prayer requests, please give us a call at 204-326-9020 or email Prayer at myselfland.com. Once again, our phone number is 204 326 9020 and the email address is prayer at myselfland.com.